All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome to COVID Chat, where we talk about the tangential and contiguous issues surrounding the SARS COVID 2, otherwise known as the COVID 19 virus. This is the only place where you can have an unfiltered and uncensored conversation about the impacts of the pandemic. I'm your host, Mario Christie. And I'm your host, Eleanor Terrellong. We are now living in Corona time. And the only way our nation can ensure survival is for us to get, get the program. program. <laughs> Always a fun point of the day. COVID-19 isn't going anywhere. It will be a defining factor in our lives and livelihoods for the foreseeable future. Though a critical public health concern, COVID-19 is not just a public health issue. It is a social, economic, and environmental issue. COVID Chat is a program that will delve into all these issues and impacts caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as our national response. How will we address our national and global sustainability needs during this time? This initiative is powered by the Jamaica Climate Change Youth Council, a youth affiliate of the Jamaica Climate Change Advisory Board, in partnership with Environmental Solutions Limited, the Caribbean's leading environmental consultancy firm. We want to welcome everyone to the discussion and thank you for joining. Please share with us on social media using the hashtags, hashtag COVID chat, hashtag Corona time, and hashtag transform education. Don't forget to follow our, foot, our footprint JA on Twitter and Instagram and ESL Caribbean on Twitter and at Envirsol, that's E-N-V-I-R-S-O-L on Instagram. This week, our focus will be on a critical foundation to development, education. We have heard the cries from students, teachers, and parents about this issue. What are our takeaways from that experience? And how can we move forward with creating a more inclusive experience in education? To help us get some answers, we have some very special guests with us this week. We have Lorenzo Smith, an educator, teacher of history and geography, who has an interest in curriculum instruction and teacher coaching. And we also have with us Michaela Gonzalez, owner and educator of Mathways Tutors. Thank you both for joining us today. Yes, it's our pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> so at this point, I'm gonna just open the floor and ask you both to just tell us a little bit about what you do in your different um, professions. And we'll start with Lorenzo. Uh. Well, um, as you said, I'm a teacher. I teach uh, history and geography. Apart from teaching, I lead workshops in um, curriculum instruction. Uh, so pretty much I help teachers to develop curriculum and also to uh, carry out the curriculum, that's the instruction part. So, and also we, looked at, we look at um, what are some of the tools that we can use to pretty much be effective teachers of history and geography. So that's pretty much what I do. And on the side, I also do some um, college counseling to so help students to find what best college suits them and to look at scholarships and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Wow. Very good. <laughs> Hi, everyone. And I am Michaela Gonzalez. And I completed my master's last year. I did my master's in economics. And for a short while, I've been engaging in research um, so I've done some research with Capri. Um, I'm also doing work with Edifocal. However, you know, starting the end of August, I'm actually pursuing, you know, this career as a math teacher full time. So I've 
actually quit my job and I'm pursuing, you know, going into math um, completely just because I feel like now is the opportune time that I think I really need to give not just a piece of me to our education system, but, you know, like full force and, and not just, as I said, just any focal, you know, we're doing all of the subjects, but I kind of want to lend myself specifically to, you know, enhancing math for the island itself. So, you know, supporting not just any focal, but other companies as well, you know, who are trying to, as you said, you know, develop a national solution for Corona in this time. So what I do is I teach math. I do that privately. I also recently started a YouTube channel. You know, everybody's into YouTube these days. And and the reason I even did the YouTube channel is because I know that in Corona, you know, everybody can't afford extra classes or, you know, to pay for private tutoring. So I said, you know, what other way can I reach, you know, every student in Jamaica? And, you know, so that's the reason I've started the YouTube channel. So, yeah, so I do a bit of project management. And, of course, the main thing, though, is teaching math. All right. Thank you both for that. You're both very inspiring and I'm definitely looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> uh, just a note to our audience, please remember this is an interactive conversation. So we encourage you to join in at any point you want to ask a question or have a comment. You can either type it directly into the chat box or you can use the raised hand feature on Zoom so that you can pose your questions directly to one of our presenters. We're also taking questions for people that are watching on Facebook. You can just type your questions there. Remember, we're only here for an hour and a half, so please keep your questions and comments short and spicy, just so that we have the opportunity to hear from everyone. All right, thank you, Elena. Thank you, Lorenzo. Thank you, Michaela. Let's get right into it. Every child can learn. Every child must learn. That's the slogan of the Ministry of Education and Youth. However, since stay-at-home orders have been enforced, students have been asked to stay outside of the classroom, and we are now seeing the glaring inequities which exist in our education system. Notwithstanding these challenges, our 2030 vision documents, our 2030 vision documents the hope of our leaders for a brighter future for our youth. Goal one speaks to Jamaicans being empowered to achieve their fullest potential. Under this goal, one of the national outcomes is listed as, and I quote, world-class education and training, and that Vision 2030 Jamaica recognizes the need for every Jamaican child to have access to education to the level that enables him or her to access further education, training, and or decent work. These can be logically assumed to fit to fit in with the strategic objective number two of the current education framework, which says, secure teaching and learning opportunities that will optimize access, equity, and relevance throughout the education system. Even with knowledge and appreciation of, the, of what I just stated, hundreds of thousands of students were without proper access for a time to basic amenities that would have been necessary to ensure this equity, even if COVID-19 did not happen. It's only not being brought to light because now students who have who never had internet access or the tools to access um, content online were unable to utilize public and school libraries, internet cafes, and in some cases, even their neighbors' computers. The ICT infrastructure in rural Jamaica also brought to light for, was also brought to light and further underscores the inequity in our approach to development. So I want to start out by asking, and Lorenzo, you lost the task, so you have to go first. How do we feel about the, these Vision 2030 and strategic initiative claims that have been made to ensure equity among our school goals? All right. Uh, can I just 
So I'm going to go to my document. Are you guys seeing my document here? Yes, we are. Okay. All right, great. Um, so I'll just answer by going through this, uh, this, this document here. So um, it's, in, it's in, uh, rather interesting that we're doing this now, seeing that just, I think, what, the 23rd of July, as I have there, 2020, we launched Education Transformation Commission, which, was, which is pretty, pretty much tasked to review the education system altogether from early childhood right up to tertiary, um, make recommendations, and to look at it with a critical eye. Um, so that was there. And then out of that, um, the, the launch, we have three, I, I picked up three key points. Uh, the first point was made from Minister Samuda, which um, mentioned the whole point of equity. And then we have the other point from um, opposition leader, um, spokesperson on education, Mr. Bumpton, who um, mentioned the fact that our, our education system, or education rather, our classrooms are under-resourced and lack technology. Uh, we're not seeing uh, greater use of technology in the classroom. And also he made mention of the point of the inequity that exists in the education system. And then the final point that was stood up for me was the point made mentioned by the Prime Minister where he was saying that it's not a matter of spending, it's a matter of uh, returns on the investment. So in essence, that we're, we're spending a lot of money, but we're not getting the, the returns on the investment. So that is part of the problem that we, that's, I think, where we need to focus on. How can we get returns on our investment? And that goes into the whole issue you know, of equity um, in the whole system. Um, the, Mario mentioned earlier that, you know, there's a divide or there's a gap between urban and rural uh, Jamaica. But if we look at it, there is also a gap within urban, um, urban Jamaica, that is within yeah. Kingston itself. Because just take a look, if we look at Arden versus a highly Selassie, and if you look at the fact that the first point here where it says that equity in education requires putting systems in place to ensure that every child has equal chance of success, if we look at this statement and if we compare Haley Selassie to Arden, can we say then that every child is, or every Getting. child has an equal chance of success? Can we truly mm -hmm. say that? So there's a divide, there's a gap within the urban area, and there's a wider gap within urban and rural Jamaica. So that is, we need to then bridge those gaps. And the question is, how can we bridge those gaps? And for me, one would have to go back to the very beginning. How is it that we, how, how our schools were you know, constructed or designed? Uh, we have to look at it that we had schools that were designed to bring up a middle class. Those are the grammar schools or the traditional schools. Those are the schools with the Latin motto that we love so dearly. And then we chastise the other schools without the Latin mottos. And those other schools are those schools with the, uh, with the technical skills. So we have the grammar schools or the traditional schools versus the technical schools or the upcoming, you know, the upgraded secondary schools. And so we have that sort of divide um, in our education system. And we treat them in, um, in, in such ways, in, in terms of resources. We treat them in, in, in that way. We give a lot of resources to uh, this traditional and, and sometimes, not all the cases, but sometimes we really, you know, don't focus much on the upgraded uh, um, high schools. Uh, and so what we're seeing then is that if we look at the 
if we look at the profile of the educated Jamaican, this is now this is an extract from the Vision 2030. If we look at the profile of the educated Jamaican, profile one says that love to learn and will therefore be a lifelong learner, continuously developing wisdom and knowledge. Is this being uh, is this being you know promoted in our in our education system? If we look at profile two. Be well-rounded, agile of mind, be able to adjust to different situations. Again, are we seeing this, you know, seeing this being fostered in our education system? It's, there's a question mark there. Uh, speak an additional language and have at least minimal requirement for tertiary education. Again, there's a big question mark there. So the, 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 the point is that are we fulfilling the mandate of Vision 2030? And my short answer is no. And what was interesting is that at the launch again of the Education Transformation Commission, the chairman, Professor Orlando Patterson, said that we are not ready to meet the fourth industrial revolution. We're not ready. And why he said that we're not ready, he pointed to some data, and the data were quite startling, that uh, over, we have underperformance in our boys. Um, we have underperformance in math. We have underperformance in science. We have underperformance in, in, in um, English. And if we have underperformance in those basic subjects, which are fundamental for this fourth industrial revolution, then we're really not ready for this, you know, for this transformation or this fourth industrial revolution. We're really not ready for it, which is what he said. And I tend to believe, um, to agree with him, because we are seeing where we have these high failure rates in our math and science and if we have high failure rates in math and science then where we you know what is the 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 the, the, the um the success rate for stem if we're going to talk about stem education so my focus my focus where i want to go is to look at transforming how we teach transforming how teachers you know approach teaching all of those things we have to look at that transforming how we prepare teachers for this um, for the classroom and also look at our social landscape um, look at the social landscape look if it look um, examine if it is you know reaching everyone examine if and obviously we know it's not reaching everyone so what can we do to bridge that gap the first thing we have to look at is the access to internet access to internet it, it's very very important that we still have parts in this very island within urban areas and outside of the urban area that still have poor connectivity or poor access to internet. And even places that have access to internet, this is not reliable. So if we're gonna talk mm -hmm. about transforming the education space, if we're going to talk about technologizing the education um, or the classroom, we have to look at a very important thing, which is access to internet, very, very important. And these are some of the things that the COVID-19 highlighted for us. Um, these are some of the gaps that it highlighted that we have unreliable internet service um, service. We have expensive data uh, for those parents who had to buy credit and those things for, you know, to put on their children's phone to access um, work. Data is expensive. We have that. And then the other thing that we have is a lack of equipment. There are students there without proper equipment or proper technological um, equipment to assist or to facilitate online learning. So we have to address, um, address that. And I think the government is just coming our, um, on stream to addressing that with the tablets in school. And my thing is tablets in school is good. 
but it has it, it must be paired with the access to internet because if you don't have the tab internet the tablet is useless I, I all right so i'm gonna i'm gonna stop you on on that point oh, sure. um Lorenzo, because you're <laughs> You're, you're, you're pretty much answering all my questions and I want to give Michaela a chance. I'm going to segue from here. Could you just bring back your, your presentation to that first slide? Uh, sure. Yes. Um, that first point, we have to take great care to ensure equity, equal opportunity for all. It, 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 it boggles my mind that Minister Samuda was the one to have said that. So I'm going to throw this out to you, Michaela. On, his, on this point, and considering his previous mm -hmm. blunder um, in the media with our secondary school students, where he said regarding the date of um, the, the change of date for the CXC exams, we are driven by a principle that one place in a position to lead. You must lead from the top. You must lead from the participation of those who are particularly involved in setting policy and discharging policy set down by the government of Jamaica. Then he continued to say, you could never imagine us arriving at a conclusion as to when to engage students in an examination by being guided by hundreds or <laughs> over a over hundred thousand students. students. I am not sure to this day that we have fully addressed the impact of such a statement. And even with the Education Transformation Commission, there is no representation from the student population. So I want to know, in your perspective, Michaela, from your perspective, what kind of message does this send for the future of education in Jamaica? Right. And I'm happy at the beginning of the you know, session you said that this is supposed to be an open and frank you know, discussion because we're not, we're not going to get anywhere if we don't actually you know, cite things for what they are. And mm -hmm. I can say, you know, especially being a previous student leader, if I was guild president at that time, for example, and I heard something like that, I know my students would be telling me it's, it's time to riot, you know, and, and that's reasonable. And I mean, when you're in a leadership position, I think the responsibility is on you as a leader to choose your words. So even though, yes, he might be able to say, yes, that's not exactly, you know, what he meant. The point is psychology. We understand what message is going to be sent. And you cannot take back, you know, how it made people feel. And even reading it, again, I'm putting myself in the, in the place of a student and it just, it would have made me feel like, okay, um, you know, the education, the Ministry of Education is supposed to be there to support me, to, to be my voice, actually. But how can you be my voice if you're not listening to, you know, what I have to say? Then it means that you're not effectively representing whatever it is I, you know, I, I stand for or I believe in. I, as I said, mm -hmm. I'm a teacher, so I remember... When the you know COVID nineteen just started, you know some of my students there was the anxiety was high. They just weren't sure what was happening because remember for a very long time there was no definitive decision on what was going to happen, mm -hmm. and you know they were starting to lose momentum. I mean for some students, yes, they're going to be you know happy that okay, yeah, man, you know, I get more time. But for the others, I mean, you're going to grow anxious. I mean that is, I mean, I feel like we haven't even touched on the mental health issues that are coming out of COVID nineteen and how it has affected our students. And for me, I feel like, how can you not, it, in fact, it should have been the majority of students, um, you know, or you have like, you know, different a task force or you have different student bodies. I mean, you have the National Student Council, you have these various student bodies. Like, I, I, I think what it is, is that the government tends to 
say that, you know, we're listening to the, the voice of the young people. And, you know, we have these boards. So, for example, persons would like to make it seem like, you know, the Gillow Students or the National Student Council, that they really don't serve a purpose in terms of advocating for change. But then it says, okay, what happens when it comes to the real issues now, which is something like this? This is the time you engage with your young people. This is the time you put us to the forefront and say, what are your suggestions? What are your solutions? You know, and, and I think I would have appreciated more if the majority of the decision was based on, you know, like consecutive consultation, consistent mm -hmm. consultation, getting the voice. If it's even a, a consultation with, so, um, you know, a group of students from each parish, so that at the end of the day, you can say this decision which is being made was being made after consulting with, you know, the students who are ultimately the ones being affected. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I think, I don't necessarily think I would say it says what it is or isn't going to happen for Jamaica's education system, but I do believe it may have caused some doubt in the minds of, of the young people. And, and I think we have to understand that even when young people, for example, you know, you said there is voter apathy and, and stuff like that, it's because of reasons like this. Mm -hmm. Because then when it's time for us to have a voice, it's as if we don't, you know? So, I mean, as I said, I don't think it's going to say exactly where the future for Jamaica's educational system is going to, to go, but I do think it has left a, a bad taste in the most of many Jamaicans, even as parents. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah. And I, I mean, I know you're asking me this question, but there are a few points because I know Lorenzo has his presentation and I don't want him to go too far <laughs> without me making some comments. So, you know, right. So he was speaking about, you know, just the, the idea of equity. And he started speaking about the fact that you were mentioning, you know, there's a divide between, you know, what a student in rural Jamaica experiences versus right. urban. Yeah. Um, but then, yes. Let, let me ask you to hold that because I actually do. Um, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into that some more. Okay, okay, no problem. Because we're so excited, you know, so we're, we're just trying <laughs> okay, to give you all the information. I get it, I get it, and I, I, I feel in the energy over here. But based on what you just said, though, um, in my mind, what it feels like, um, as, a, as, a, as an educator myself, because I used to teach in the government system and I also do run a private practice myself, um, it, it feels to me like a grand token. Um, yes. For the most part, because you, as you said, they say they're listening, but at the same time, when it, when it matters, they don't engage, engage young people because any sort of transformation that is supposed to happen now with the education system has to involve the needs of the students. It cannot yes. be a top-down. If it's a top-down approach, I think we're just going to be back where we are now in, no, in very short order. So I, I just want to, I want to ask one final question on this to both of you in as two sentences do you think that based on based on what we know the reality to be in jamaica um culturally physically economically um do you think that this commission um will be able to move jamaica's education system to a place to be ready um or even if we miss the start of the the, the, the fourth industrial revolution to catch up um given all the impacts to accessing education as well as learning Michaela. Well, I'm, yeah, I will start. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know every single person on the commission in terms of personally, uh, but I can say Gordon Swaby, he's a part of the commission and I work with him every day. Mm -hmm. I can say that if it is that everybody's going to have the passion and the vision that Gordon has, then I'm definitely confident that, you know, there, there is going to, it's not going to be just talk. It's going to be action as well. Um, but what I will say is, I think it's going to take 
more, as you said, it can't be a top-down approach. So, I mean, yes, it's nice that we have the commission to guide and to give vision and to, you know, to ensure that the people are, are have like a trustworthy. So, because these are all people who have been in the education system for, you know, mm-hmm. years. So, yes, there's a credibility and there's the experience that we need. But then, as you said, I, I think what's really going to put it over the top now is ensuring that we ensure the students, the teachers, and the parents. Those three elements have to be like, at the forefront of this discussion of the consultation is just that the commission will lend to put all of those ideas together because, um, you know, going back to the statement that was made, I think the idea that was, you know, trying to be portrayed was that, you know, if you have too many people in the kitchen, of course, you're going to spoil the pot, right? So uh, it's, it's not to say that, yes, you're going to be able to take in all the opinions and considerations. So that is why you have the high level or the commission now who will be able to put those ideas together, but it can't be that you don't get the ideas. Yeah, so you have to get, you cannot assume what is happening with students. You have to ask students what is happening. You cannot mm-hmm. assume what the teachers are going through. You have to ask the teachers. Same thing, I think a big um, element of this discussion that has been left out are, are the parents. You're talking about parents who have to go to work, who now have to think about students who have been home, which they did not plan for. You're talking about sometimes the children might end up being at home alone. You end up talking about them not being able to provide the support because some of them themselves don't know how to use the technology. And I remember, you know, there was something that came out, you know, voice note of parents kind of ex- just expressing her, you know, her anger, you know, whatever it was in terms of how she felt about that. not being in her frustration, not being able to help her child. And, you know, even though it was ridiculed and stuff like that, for me, I am coming from an inner city community. I know my mommy does not know how to use technology. Majority of the time when I had homework and stuff like that, my mommy would have to call her friends who, you know, would have had certain educational experiences. So I'm just thinking that the parents, like, because the thing is, you know, the, the commission is not going to be in the households. The commission is not going to be there with every single parent. You know who's going to be with those students every single day or most of the time? It's between the teachers and their parents. So you have to ensure that those two elements or those two you know, bodies of people, they're on the same page, they understand the vision, they understand what part they play, and then you not only tell them, but you support them. So whatever they need to get ready to help these students, then we do that. Thanks for that, Michaela. Lorenzo? All right. Um, so as Michaela said, yes, it, it will not solve everything. I think, well, one, we don't know the terms of a reference for the commission. Um, so I guess when we see the terms of reference, we can, you know, have a greater uh, conversation around that. Um, but I definitely do have faith in the commission. Yes, um, I do have hope in Gordon Swaby. Um, we know his work, um, doing very good work with um, Edifocal. <laughs> also, there's Esther Tyson. When you talk about transformational leader, you talk about Esther Tyson, who has pretty much moved Arden, you know, um, into pretty much a world-class um, institution, went to Tarant High and transformed Tarant High altogether. And then we have another principal um, uh, there to, um, I think, to Florida Plummer from Nagavet Primary School, another transformational school where most of the students from Nagavet going to Campion and, and, you know, these, again, cherished schools that we so love. Um, and then there is a, there is a principal of Church Teachers College, which is the teacher training institution. So he would, you know, bring that sort of uh, know-how there on the commission. So it's a good blend, I find. Yes, there is no student voice. I would love to see a student voice there, maybe, um, you know, a youth voice as well. Definitely. But there, there's room for it. There's room for it, I think, um, because these commissions normally have subcommittees, um, where they you know, invite other, um, other personnel to sit in these subcommittees where they can get you know, more 
in um, you know intimate detail uh, um, or critical detail um, information rather to put in this wider um, you know commission. So I, I have faith in it. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's good. My only caution is that uh, we don't just do the commission have the report, have the recommendations, and we sit on it. And then another four or five years, we're doing another commission because there was a commission previous to this one in 2004. Where's the recommendation? What are we, what are we done with the recommendation? Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. We have, you know, we have doing studies. We have studies on top of studies and commissions on top of commissions, reports on top of reports. But what have we done with these reports and commissions and studies? This is where yeah. we are. Yeah. <laughs> our first, in our first session, um, one of our speakers actually pointed out that Jamaica is a country of studies, like we love studies. Yes, so we do a whole heap of them and just shelf them just to say we have done them. So I'm glad you pointed that out, Lorenzo, because that really will make a difference in how we are able to move forward if we actually action these recommendations that we would get from um, all of this research. So, uh, sorry. My, yeah, I just wanted to point out because I'm, I'm seeing the comments that are coming in mm. and I realize that somebody said, you know, that the, the previous commission would have actually done a lot. And here's the thing, again, just speaking from my experience, you know, being a student leader before, and I remember there would be times, and I mean, I've served with Eleanor before, you're, you're doing so much work, and then, you know, your student body or, you know, the people you're serving, they say, hey, but I never, I never feel like you did enough, you know, or I, I'm just not seeing the, the impact of it. And I think something that's very big that we miss just overall with our Jamaican government is communication. Yes, I believe this um, particular serving government is doing better at communication however it's a it's, it's a thing if you don't tell the people what you're doing they cannot know because at the end of the day you cannot reach everybody so yeah. i mean i don't think it was that learners was you know discrediting that there was a lot of work done but it's a case where if i am not seeing the immediate impacts you have to tell me you have to tell me and of course as my leader i will trust that you won't be dishonest so if you tell me that we have moved from point a to point b then i will believe you but you have to say something to me you have to say something to the people yeah mm -hmm. Thanks so I just wanted to make mention. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's jump back to to the previous conversation. Now, Lorenza had um, segued into identifying a number of the challenges. So right. we want to pick pick up back on that. Um, so we know what the digital divide is, and for those who are listening who don't know, it's an un any uneven distribution in the access to use of or impact of information and communication technologies between any number of distinct groups which can be yeah. defined based on a social, geographical, or geopolitical criteria or otherwise. So we know that this is very real in Jamaica. We spoke about urban versus rural, and we spoke about urban, within the urban situation, you know, the uptown versus the downtown. Um, there is clearly an element of inequality. Um, some will say it's fueled by discrimination, whether it's intentional or not, um, but that's not why we are here today. But what I want us to get to from our conversation is how we can close this divide if we don't address these inequalities. And I suspect that um, for some persons, that's going to be some, some, somewhat of an uncomfortable conversation because first, you'll now have to admit that, listen, there is some element of discrimination mm -hmm. in how we approach um, resourcing or outfitting our schools with um, what they need. And people don't want to have that kind of conversation. So how, how, can we, how can we make people comfortable to talk about this issue so we can close the gaps and, and by addressing the inequalities that exist? 
Well, the fact of the matter is that it's an uncomfortable discussion that we must have. So <laughs> I wouldn't say, well, let's make people comfortable. Let's make them uncomfortable because we need to yes. have the discussion. We need to have the discussion. Uh, this, again, I go back. The fact of the matter is when you look at a school, I went to Glenmere. When you look at a school, say like Glenmere, there is a healthy group of past students who are continuously contributing to the school, right. to in the school. And, and for most traditional schools, there's that healthy group of past students, old boys and old girls and all these past students who are, who are well in, um, established in their professions, who can assist and offset um, you know, government subvention. Is there such a, such a case in these, in these um, you know, secondary schools or, or upgraded secondary schools? Not necessarily. And so you see the divide, you see that discrimination, you see that gap, you see the, in um, the, um, the inequality just by how the schools are constructed, just in how the, school, um, the schools are, are, are resourced. You see that. When you look at a school, um, for example, again, I go back to um, the Haile Selassie versus the Arden. When you look at those two schools and when you look at what Arden has and you look at what Haile Selassie has, you, um, you wonder why? Why is it? Why? Why can't we have all have you know pretty much the same thing? Why can't we all have the, you know equal resources or equal access? And the government will argue that there is, and um, you know equal resources right across the board. But the great um, again, when you look at the quality of teachers, a teacher is not yeah. necessarily going to go into maybe a highly slashed. Why? Because of the environment. So we have to. It's a whole. Um, I think socioeconomic uh, shift that will, well, not necessarily shift, but overall that we'll have to do to get rid of this um, divide or gap that we have in our education system. And it is real. It is very real. And because we have this gap, the, the, the um, leader of opposition talk about an education apartheid. And it is very much there. We have we have that, 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 that distinct divide. And again, I go back to just looking at how we look at our schools, those schools with the Latin motto, we cherish them, we wear them on badge of honor, and those schools without, we laugh at them, we, we ridicule them because they're not as good as us. And so one uncomfortable truth that we must face is that for many of us, we don't want to bridge the divide because bridging the divide means that people are not going to be equal. Mm -hmm. And we don't like that. We love that us, we are built, our society is built on an us and them um, sort of situation or syndrome. It's the us and them. Somebody, we're, somebody was mentioned. I said <laughs> somebody was mentioning this whole idea of schoolism. Yes. <laughs> the other day on it's Twitter, I found it so interesting. It is very real. It is very real. Yeah, most definitely. What about how, you, dare you, how dare you go to go to Vac, um, Vauxhall want to be like you know us um, you know campaigner? How dare you? You know that's part of a thing. So it is. Oh. We have to break that. We yes. have to tear those down, and that will have to come from a, as I said, a, just a wide scale socioeconomic um, you know uh, um, tearing down. You know they're, as they're going on and pulling down the zinc fences in these inner city communities. <laughs> we need to tear yes. down the fences. In the education system, because they're 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 just there to serve a particular group in our society, and that particular group in our society enjoys it, mm -hmm. and that's why it's still there because people are enjoying the benefit of being the us and the them. 
Right. Thanks, Lorenzo. Mm-hmm. What about you, Michaela? What What are your thoughts on this? Yes, I'm trying to incorporate, you know, people's feedback into, you know, <laughs> just to keep the discussion going. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, no, I definitely, definitely agree with Lorenzo. Definitely, as somebody said, truth bombs and all truth. Something I wanted to bring up in terms of, you know, bridging the gap. I know we're speaking about, you know, okay, we said, yes, there's rural versus the urban. Then you're saying, okay, there's even further divide in terms of urban, even within the urban, which is why you mentioned, you know, your Arden and your Hills, Lassie. I want to say there's a divide even within the very classroom. So yeah, even, yeah, yeah. At, uh, you know, yeah, and I mean, yeah, Lawrence, I mean, I'm just, I'm just supporting yeah, you by no, no, just saying no, that no, that's, no. that's how micro we have to, to go into this issue. Because you, you. And, and it's the same thing, like you start from, you keep on, you know, just keep peeling off the layers and you say, okay, mm-hmm. where does the problem really begin? Because I mean, even, uh, so again, with the research, there was some time back uh, for my master's, I was doing a research and that was actually what I was looking at, you know, like why does a student, at, for example, you know, a campion, you know, why do they perform better than a student at somewhere else? And some of the things that were coming out, of course, is the fact that, okay, some children have to travel further than some to go to school. So, for example, even the travel time, if somebody is going, and I mean, this is, we're talking about being real and having the uncomfortable conversations. You driving home in a nice car to go home versus you having to take five buses, you know, and everything. By the time you get home, you're tired. Like, it's just not the same reality as, as somebody who probably lives close by, is, is driven to school, probably has enough, um, their parents are in a position to maybe give them breakfast in the morning. Many students go to school without breakfast in the morning. You're talking about when they go home, you're talking about the education level of other persons in the household with them. Okay, they come home and they have homework. Do they have that kind of support? You know what I mean? Um, in terms of you're talking about the internet access, you're talking about the technology. So even though, yes, because I, I can speak from experience, you know, I have students that, they have to be borrowing their parents' phone to have the classes with me. So they don't even have their own things. And then, of course, it's not every household a parent is going to just be, I mean, yes, you'd want them, everybody to be okay with saying, you know, it's for educational purposes, so you can use the phone. I mean, it's still, you know, there's still going to be that divide. So I'm just saying the reality is not the same um, for everybody. And I just kind of want to even say it's not just about the schools, it's even within the schools. Within the schools, um, yeah. yeah, even within the schools. Yeah. Um, but to, to, to bridge the gap, I think, we can't just throw money at the problem. I think oh. in Jamaica, that's something we do a lot. We think, okay, you know, education needs to be fixed. All right, we, we've given it a bigger budget. It's clear that a bigger budget is not the only solution. It has to be a very personal approach. It has to be about vision. I think the easiest way to start, like actually seeing change in just anything, is you have to get people to, to, to buy into a vision. I said, mm. yes, I know we have this vision 2030, but I'm pretty sure if we go to... We can take maybe 10 random Jamaicans, um, you know, going half a tree and ask them, what is Vision 2030? Just tell me one of the goals of Vision 2030. What does Vision 2030 mean to you? How do you think you're going to benefit from Vision 2030? I'm pretty sure you would not get the responses you expect to get, meaning they, they, don't, they probably don't know. Mm-hmm. They've never seen the document. Mm-hmm. Nobody yeah. has ever broken it down to them. Nobody, and that's the thing. People will not talk about this in economics. People are selfish, right? It's, it's just the reality of it. So every human being is acting in their own self-interest. So you know what you need to do in everything you're going to do? You have to show them how it responds or how it relates to the, the, the self, to them. Yes. And by them realizing the value it has to them, they say, okay, so yes, you're telling me my child can go to university. First of all, I don't even think telling a child that they go to university is a, is a great selling point anymore because so many of my friends, we go to university, check this out. I have I have degree in um, actuarial science. I have master's in economics. Yet, I still have to be thinking, okay, how can I get a job 
that pays me well enough to, because I'm supposed to be the breadwinner of the family. No, because what? Everybody poured into me because they were told that, all right, if I send my child to university, they're going to be able to come out of the struggle. And you know, but then what happened? You, you can't, some of us can't get jobs. Then when you get jobs, you know you're being underpaid. But what are you going to do? It's an employer's world. You know what I mean? So unfortunately, you take the salaries. When you hear some persons, what they get for salaries, by the time they take the taxi or the bus to go and come back and get food, mm-hmm. the salary is done. Mm-hmm. Like, how will you build from that? And so for me, I think the biggest thing that this commission, and just overall we're going to have to do, is get people to buy into a vision. Whatever the vision is for Jamaica's education system, and just overall, we have to communicate that. So I'm talking on the TV, on the radio, Everybody is supposed to know what what is the vision we're going towards. And it sounds nice to have this document, but really and truly, if we had to put the vision in one sentence, everybody should be saying that same thing. Because I'm pretty sure if I ask Eleanor now what is her thing, yeah, she has something, but she's going to say one thing. Lawrence is going to say one thing. I'm going to say one thing. So at the end of the day, we need a common vision that everybody knows, even though, yes, there's the environmental part, there's the education part, if everybody was supposed to be asked, what's Jamaica's vision? We all have an idea. We're going to use the same words. So I think that's like one of the major things, which doesn't take any money. All it takes is sincere conversations, going mm-hmm. into the communities, meeting the people, and starting to talk to them. All right. And I, I think that's what we lack um, at all levels from the government come all, coming all the way down to the household, um, having sincere conversations about issues. I think that's something that is culturally ingrained in us. That's going to take some work. Um, I, I have two questions following up on the conversation we just had. Um, the first one, Lorenzo, you, had, you, you started to talk about past students and how they, um, they can benefit the schools. But what I, what I want to ask, I, I think there's an over-reliance on past students association in Jamaica for some reason based on the conversations that I'm hearing, it's almost as if the past students associations are the ones that are supposed to be to be handling the, the resource needs of schools. But at the same time, for some schools, the past students associations really don't have any say in terms of what kind of policies or procedures the school can implement. So you kind of wonder what's the trade-off to having that sort of role. But the main issue I'm having is why is there such a heavy reliance on past students association? What is the government not doing or is it a true, sincere incapability of the government to handle this, this task when it, as, it, as it relates to all the schools? Well, um, the government since um, obviously can't you know, do everything well they should but they don't have enough resources to, to distribute. But I don't think necessarily think that there's an over-reliance. What I would say is that I would look at it as an endowment sort of, um, endowment fund sort of situation. Um, if we compare, say, high schools here to, universe, um, to colleges or universities in the um, US, we would see, sorry, where um, these students who have gone to, say, Harvard, Princeton, wherever, and have done well, create like a scholarship fund or bursary for their school. I, I, would, I look at it as that, you know, similar to what we do with our high schools because we're very attached to our high schools um, than we're attached to our university um, for reasons we won't get into. And so because of that attachment, 
to our high schools. We want the best for our high schools. And so we'll donate to our high schools. We will help, you know, help out with in a lab or or you know, student, yeah. needy student or whatever. So that's sort of an endowment fund um, situation. That's how I would look at it. Not necessarily that's an overlands on you know past student association. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other side of it where we we're all into image. We love image, we love prestige, and we love the fact, we, we won't love the fact that, hey, when I went to Glen Muir, Glen Muir was at this prestige, so it must maintain that sort of image. It cannot go down. And so because I wanted to maintain that sort of image, I'm going to continue to um, you know, contribute to Glen Muir so that it maintains that image. So there's that, there's that also, that sense of pride that we have an attachment that we have to our schools, and so that le- leads us now to contribute. But then, when you look at it, when you look at it, the students who attend these prestigious high schools tend to go off into professional, you know, careers where they can give back to their schools. The mm-hmm. students from, you know, um, non-traditional high schools are not necessarily so well off so you find that there's a gap now in some schools and um in some schools there there's a gap so for example one school can have um virtual labs while the other schools they're fighting over one you know um burn or whatever it is in their school because they don't have that sort of a past student association or endowment to assist them in building up there so there's that sort of a situation and and as i said this past student, this endowment thing goes back to the whole issue of the, of the divide, of the discrimination, of, of the inequity that, that, that is in our education system. And it ought not to be because the government should be, um, you know, should be stepping in and filling that gap. The government should be doing that. But based on how the education system was, was created, based on that system there, where we have schools that were created literally to... Um, build a middle class. Mm-hmm. Those are most schools were created to build a middle class. And then we have schools that were created for skills purposes. Right. So, so when then, you look at that. If we, if we follow that line, that line of reasoning, um, Don Lorenzo, I think therefore the government is sort of missing the importance of the feedback loop because if you invest in schools at a similar level, um, well, not, not necessarily to give them equal resources, but to address the, the, the issue of equity because some schools really don't need as much as others. Um, if, we, if you invest in the schools in that way and, and create that sort of culture where the students would feel like, you know, it is because of attending this school where I'm able to achieve how I have achieved or I'm achieving, then they would then now go back and reinvest in the, com- in the upcoming students from the schools. Yeah, so, I agree. So, but I, I, I don't think it's fair for us to, to call on past students when really and truly we have to fight tooth and nail um, going through high school to get a little piece of paper after the five years. I, yeah, I, I just don't think that is fair. No, it's definitely not fair. And as I said before, the government, it's the government's job to, you know, resource these schools yes that's definitely so past students should should contribute at their will um you know we shouldn't be reliance on them it's definitely not fair for the government um, for past students to, to take up the slack for governments sure mm-hmm. um 
But let's move it outside of the government. And you talk about allowing students to feel a, to feel a part of. Sometimes we have to look at our teachers and look at how teachers react to these students in these schools. Teachers' reaction to students is important. Our teacher-student relationship is important, very, very important. If you want a student to trust you, you uh -huh. have to treat that student as that student is a human being. Mm -hmm. There are human beings in front of you. And you must treat students accordingly. And sadly, I have visited some schools that are non-traditional schools and I have listened to how some teachers interact with these students. And it wasn't nice. It wasn't nice. So there is, there is, that, there is that sense of, oh, I am less than. And when you go to schools in the traditional area, you look at how teachers react with those students. It's, it's completely different, different. Mm -hmm. completely different. So we have to look at how we interact with students. They're human beings and need to be treated as such. Love, respect, those are words that we need to have in the classroom. Too often teachers use fear as respect. Mm -hmm. and Fear is not respect. It's well, not. That, that sounds like one of those post-colonial relics <laughs> coming <laughs> from the time. And I, at this point, uh, Marianne Lawrence, I actually want to come to the rescue of the teachers um, uh -huh. and kind of say that I also think just as whole, and, and this is why it's, you know, it's a, it's a ripple effect. So just as how we want the teachers to, you know, treat the students with respect and ensure that, you know, you're, you're meeting their needs. I think there needs to be a total change in Jamaica about how we treat teachers and how we view teachers. I think a lot of this projection of, you know, the anger and the kind of aggressiveness that they have towards students is because they also don't feel respected. And they mm -hmm. also don't feel as if they are valued within. So I'm not saying that for all learners, I'm just kind no, of no, adding, no, you know, all that. the pieces, which that. is why, again, we're saying we have to just... It's education, or well, it's such an interesting thing to me. You know, it's just, there's just so much um, moving parts. And mm -hmm. so you re it's moving parts that you literally cannot leave out one part. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like yeah. if you have a car and you have everything nice, but you forget the wheels, like you're not going anywhere, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, for me, I think it's just including everybody. So with the teachers mm -hmm. now, because I have a particular student and, you know, he was talking to me one day after class and he was like, he really enjoys coming to my classes. And I said, you know, just out of curiosity, I asked him what was different between, you know, me teaching him and his teacher at school. And he was saying that to me. He said, the fact that his teacher is so aggressive towards them, it really makes it hard for him to learn. And I, I didn't even think that a student would, I mean, I know you, we probably talk about it, you know, but hearing it from a student, I'm like, oh, so this really is an issue. You know what I mean? And I thought, how many other students out there, you know, aren't grasping a certain subject simply because of the attitude of the teacher. And I, and I would love to have, you know, conversations with teachers to say, like, what mm. are the challenges? What challenges are you facing? You know, is it that, I mean, of course, we know the pay is definitely a part of it. You know, is it that, okay, if we can't give them, you know, more pay, is it that we can give them other benefits? Is it that we can give them more health benefits? Is it that we can reduce the cost of other things for them so that, Again, mm. as I said, throwing literal money at the problem sometimes doesn't solve it. <laughs> it but doesn't. even us having that conversation with teachers to say, like, what are you feeling? And even though, yes, this may be happening, again, it's not being communicated to, to, to the average Jamaican, you know? And so we don't know what is happening. So even though I may say, yes, that happens for some teachers, I know it doesn't happen, happen for all. Oh. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I definitely... Mm -hmm. I, I can totally relate to, to both... Um, 
both the points that both of you have expressed. Um, because when I when I thought back um a few years ago, I found it surprising that as a new teacher coming into the school, like my office was almost like their recess room, and the students began telling me about issues they were having at home, and I'm like, we have two guidance counselors. Why aren't you talking Why to the guidance counselors about these things? <laughs> and they their response shook me because I'm like, why, why, what, what's the real purpose of guidance counselors if students can't talk to them? So I, I do understand what you're saying, Michaela, how you, how the teachers feel um, working in the space will impact how they treat the students. And then that goes back to Lorenzo's point that that interaction is what's going to really make or break students but i want and, to and sorry maria i just want to add one last point to that and it's just as whole students will feel like you know um you know at the beginning you were saying sometimes a student may say like how oh, dare you know a student who is going to a non-traditional school you know want to dream big and those kind of things it's the same thing for teachers you know because there's that same discrimination where mm -hmm. if it is that i was supposed to say i'm a teacher at you know for example a vaxhall or some other you know, school versus a campion. Let's be honest, which one do you think would sound better in a room if I'm trying to tell, you know, my, my parents, my friend's parents? Of course, they would, they would be more impressed than me saying I, I teach at campion. But again, that mm -hmm. is simply from perception. A teacher, the same teacher from campion could be put at Vaxhall and maybe even cause more transformation. But it's just that perception that we have. And I was saying it on Twitter the other day and I said to them, I've, I've known that teaching is my passion for as, as long as I can remember. But you know what? I've just been dabbling in so many other careers because at the end of the day, what sounds more impressive? What sounds more impressive is that, and especially, as I said, I'm coming from an inner city community. So what, I mean, naturally, you hear like, okay, yeah, man, you, know, you must be a lawyer, doctor. First of all, when I told my community I wanted to be an actuary, everybody didn't know what that was, but it's own, it's own fancy. And when I tell them how much money I can make, that was even that was even better. Yeah. That is mm -hmm. wow, okay, price possession. But then at the end of the day, I've done the degree, I've done the masters, and I realized, you know what? At the end of the day, where my passion still lies, there's nothing that gives me greater satisfaction than when I'm teaching. So then I, you know, I tweeted and I said, you know, I used to be somewhat ashamed to say I want to be a teacher, but now I wear it proud, and I, I feel like the transformation that I can make is is just endless. And you know, a few persons were like, why would you be ashamed? And I'm like, that's exactly it. Like. The fact that you cannot openly un say that you know exactly why I would be ashamed is why we won't get anywhere. Because mm -hmm. then you won't allow for the other teachers who need to feel uplifted to say, yes, this is the career choice. First of all, I think that we need to be as a, as a solution even for the government. So many times we're telling persons to go to university and I saw someone in the feedback, she was saying, you know, in terms of matching the labor market, what the labor market actually means and what we send people to university for. I think right now it's just a free-for-all, you know? If you want to be a doctor, you say, okay, yes, let's be a doctor, let's be a lawyer. But then it's like, okay, but what does Jamaica actually need? At this point in time, what, what career, what professions do we actually need? And how about we push students into that? So we know that right now, especially given this whole corona thing, we're going to need all hands on deck as it relates to teachers. Mm -hmm. So that the teachers who are doing online classes can focus on online and maybe those who are doing in-person can focus on complementing that. But then again, are, are we going to go to somebody who maybe they maybe they like teaching, but nobody ever said to them, you know, that this this is a good career. You know, the government is pumping money into that. You won't have to pay it to maybe, or maybe you'll get a subsidy for your degree if you decide to go into teaching. Maybe we're going to give a raise for the salaries. Maybe you'll get these benefits. Again, where's the value? Like, what are we saying to teachers for them to actually, or people who could be teachers, for them to want to go now and be a part of the solution? 
you know? So, I mean, I really just wanted to, to add that because I think it's, it's really important that we just, just that whole perception of teachers. Like right now, I feel like Jamaica's biggest, like, you know, the, 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 the chairs for the, as I said, the, the, what it is, the wheels for the car, that really thing that's going to push us is that we're going to have to have the teachers on deck. We're going to have to have them buy into a vision and not just the existing ones. Like we're going to need new teachers as well. So I just feel like we need to get people into the habit of saying, yes, like being a teacher is an awesome profession. Like I'm going to get to change lives and this is going to change my life as well. So right. just um, wanted so to put that out there. I'm actually glad you went there because I, I had a question for you specifically about, um, based on what you would have said um, in talking about the, the digital divide, um, you know, going to university with, you know, energized because you have this high, you have these high hopes of, of yeah. you know, getting the What's career that you wanted. But then when you come out of university, you realize it's not available for you in mm -hmm. your home country. Um, and migration is not as easy as one, two, three, as people make it look online. Um, <laughs> so I, I just wanted to get a, a sort of feel. And, and I know this is kind of just looking into the future with the Education Transformation <laughs> Commission. Um, because I'm, I'm actually scared that we're looking, we're going to be looking at education in a silo. You know, we're going it, to, it's, it's about what are we teaching the students in, in this um, instance, but is it matching up, um, relating to Daniel's comments, which you pointed out, is it right, matching up with the global, with the global, not even local alone, the global job market. When we, when these students leave school, high school, university, are they now equipped with the soft skills that employers are looking for? Because entrepreneurship is not, is not like something you just get up and start and succeed yeah. at the same time, right? Is, will they have the soft skills that they need? Will they have the hard skills that they need? What, what are your thoughts on, on the, the, the approach that the commission should, should take? Uh, for me, I think the commission is going to have to, as I said, as you rightfully said, it's not just looking at education by itself. It's how is education going to assist with all the other goals that need to be achieved, you know? So again, it's, you said that we do a lot of papers, we do a lot of research, all of that. But then it's kind of pulling on, okay, maybe we don't have to start all over. Maybe we need to pull on all the research that has been done already. Maybe we need to look at what exactly it is, as I said, that Jamaica needs right now. I can remember when I was in high school, nobody ever came to me. I mean, I just came up with wanting to be an actuary off the top of my head because of how much I heard I could earn. I didn't actually have anywhere to go to see, okay, is there a shortage for actuaries in Jamaica? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, what, what would I even need to do to become an actuary? Even that type of information is not available. Um, I know right now we're thinking about Corona. You're going to think about, okay, what about food security? We're going to need to be thinking about, as you said, we need ICT, we need more persons in technology, we need more persons who are in, you know, the creative industry. Because let me tell you, it's not just about teaching online, it's about doing that creatively so that the students feel as engaged as when you are in person. I actually think teaching online mm -hmm. is maybe two times, maybe not five times harder than in person because you have to put in that extra effort mm -hmm. to ensure that your students are being engaged. And to be honest, that's not only on the part of just the teacher, I'm going to need to engage maybe some graphic designers, maybe even, um, you know, get some more, um, you know, like training for myself, maybe do a digital course so that I know how to create better PowerPoints. Mm -hmm. I see um, Lorenzo here, clearly he has a PowerPoint thing down. You see, he came yes, prepared. I, 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 I but even something <laughs> like that, I feel like 
rather than us just talking, look at that, him, him putting up the PowerPoint, adding an extra flair to the discussion. It's adding an extra, okay, well, no, I can't, I'm hearing it, but I'm also seeing it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then it's like, okay, does, does everybody, if we're supposed to invite other guests, would everybody know how to do that? You know? Right. So for me, I think it's going to be for the commission to consult with. I'm not sure if we have other commissions um, or how many other commissions we have, but it's going to have to be, you know, them layers in with talking to the other groups, talking to everybody else, including them so that they can say, okay, what do we actually need at this point? And not just this point, because I know we like to plan for in the now, but right. what about the future? You know, what about five years from now, 10 years from now? Because I'm pretty sure if anybody told us that we could all be working from home, like even, not even a year ago, months ago, mm-hmm. many of these companies would have said, impossible, you must come in mm-hmm. for the meeting. And look mm-hmm. at this, so when, when you're forced to make the change, you will make it. Because now, so many people, are, so many meetings that I would have had in, had in person, now everybody, it's the norm now. Okay, yes, we're having a Zoom meeting. Look at this, we're having a panel on Zoom. You know what I mean? Before, that would not have been, that would not have been the norm. Persons, especially, you know, the older generation, they definitely would have been against it. They say, no, man, you guys are this technology thing. But yeah. now, people don't have to go into bank. Many things that we were told could not happen has had to happen so fast. Wow. And so mm-hmm. I think it's a matter of anticipating, like, what's next? Like, what's the next COVID? I mean, yes, COVID, I think COVID-19 was just something to prepare us, to let us know, like, you know, you guys are too comfortable. Everybody's too comfortable in the, in the space. You know, like, we need, we need a shake-up. Because it would have taken us, I don't know, maybe the next five years before anybody would be doing half of the things you've seen done in COVID. I feel like before normally you ask for change, it would take months upon months, if not years. No, I'm seeing things. People talk about this by tomorrow. You see somebody commenting mm-hmm. on it or implementing mm-hmm. it. And you're like, mm-hmm. whoa, this could be done so quickly, which means that we can do it. But again, it's about vision and, and putting that urgency on it. I was actually yeah. speaking to um, a friend of mine last night. You know, because before I do these panels, I kind of want to get a feel of, you know, what are the, you know, other people saying so that I kind of incorporate it into, you know, what I have to say. And the person, you know, was saying to me that it's not... It's not even going to be only the technology that we use, but like they were saying, we're going to have to ensure that maybe we do like testing to see where each student is right now. So for example, um, what I want to say, the online, some students, because I know some schools are thinking about being like part online and in part Mm face-to-face, right? All right. And they were saying that we, right. So somebody gave me a nice word, a gap analysis. Yes. So right now, it's nice to say, okay, yes, some children need to go to, to, to online. Some people need to go to school. How are you going to decide that? And I feel like we cannot just jump into this by making a general solution for everybody. I feel like there needs to be, and there are people who are trained in this, there needs to be something for, for them to actually assess, okay, there are some students who are further ahead, some who are further behind. Maybe those who are further ahead, you can have them do, you know, only online. And then those who are, Further behind, maybe you, you ensure that they have a, a mixture of the online and the blend, you know, that whole blended experience. I don't know what mm-hmm. it is. I'm just saying it definitely cannot just be about the education mm-hmm. as itself, like meaning just the word education, yeah, how they're learning. Like there's so many things. Um, I also think, I know just kind of pitching in a little bit off of the question now to kind of segue because I hope we speak about mental health somewhere in this discussion. <laughs> but um even that, like, I feel like so many times we think the progress or the, you know, the success of our country is measured only by, you know, like, okay, are the figures saying mm-hmm. 
that we have this amount of GDP or we hit this amount of economic growth. But then at the end of the day, the people are still unhappy. You know what I mean? And people are still like committing crime because what it really was not just about the money. As I keep saying, like money doesn't solve everything, you know? And so I would hope that a big part of this educational, um, you know, commission's goal is to ensure that the mental health of our students, like is something that has to be discussed. And I know mm-hmm. another, so it's not only the teachers that are, um, you know what I want to say, like undervalued. I think the guidance counselors mm-hmm. and the psychologists, like so many times when you say you're going to university, we talk, want to talk real. Many persons, if you tell somebody you went and did a psychology degree, they said, and what else? And it's like, no, what if that's it? What if that's it? What if I wanted to dedicate my time yeah. to, to just psychology? Because there's so much you need to learn about the mind. There's so much you need to understand that many students who come to me, it's not even a math problem they have, you know. Sometimes I have to say to the parent, I actually think you should send them to counseling because it's a, it's a problem of them not being able to, to understand what is happening with them because of what is happening at home, maybe what they're experiencing, you know, just transitioning from one age group to a next, you know, the whole issue of having friends, not having friends, all of that affects some students. And so we yeah. think it's just, oh, if we don't see them performing, yeah, man, it's just lazy, them lazy. Yeah, them don't want to do no work. And that's yeah. not true. It is so much deeper, you know? Yeah. And somebody said for teachers too. Yeah. And that that goes back yeah. to what Lorenzo said about treating students as humans. Right. So but, but if I'm coming yeah, here. So yeah, in the launch, at the launch, the Prime Minister did um talk about, you know, STEM, STEM education. Um so because I I I, I get the feeling from different um speeches that he has made and from him being Minister of Education way back in I think 2007, I remember. But from then I and to now, I think his focus, his push is really on STEM education. And so he did mention that. And another thing that he did mention as well was the fact that he stated that um we need to have a shift from being users of technology to developers of technology. And I think that's very important. Like and and that all that that point or statement kind of gives us an idea of where he wants the commission to go, of, of more skills, um, STEM-based science, technology, education, math, that sort of push in education. I think that's where he wants to go. And that tied in deep, um, closely with what Bunting said at the launch as well, where Bunting was making the, 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 the statement, or making the, the, the are highlighting rather the deficit in the education system and in saying that the education um, system must be developed in the context of the 21st century. So we must look at robotics, introducing more robotics in school, introducing more um, AI in school uh, and stuff like that. And then that also was nicely tied in with what the chairman, Professor um, Patterson said at the launch by looking at his focusing on a knowledge economy. That's what he wants. He was talking about building a knowledge economy. And the truth is that we can only build a knowledge economy if we focus on skills. And if we focus on, you know, looking at those soft skills that that we need to bring out in our students. So again, it goes back to looking at how we prepare our teachers for teaching in the 21st century, Mm -hmm. that we cannot use the same methodology, the same, you know, method that we're using now um, rather 10 years ago to use now and why do I say that it is very COVID has given us a good opportunity and a good platform to shift what we're doing 
Um, for example, I in this in this whole you know pandemic thing, I was teaching online for thirteen weeks, and in the thirteen weeks of teaching online, um, it was most eye-opening. One, I'm teaching history, and I'm teaching history to boys. And at the end of, of the 13 weeks, you know, the students said to me that this was the best class they've, they've, they've had. Why? Because I had to shift my methodology. I had to shift my instruction right. altogether and use technology, use problem-based learning to get these boys um, engaged. So looking at problem-based learning is a very very good um, strategy a very good um, method to use in teaching because what it does is that it gets our, our, our children our students to think it gets them to identify a problem and to formulate you know um, possible solutions to that problem and also with the problem-based learning what it does is that it helps students to work in groups to look at group dynamics, to look at who is the leader, to look at who is the researcher, and all of those things. And what you're doing at the end of the day is that you're identifying your strengths and your weaknesses yes, out yes. of that one activity. And that's just by, and that is what we need right now. And that cannot be facilitated by just going in and putting up a project and read off the project and having students taking notes. No, the teacher will now have to reinvent. Um, his or herself, they have to reinvent themselves. Teaching colleges will have to reinvent themselves mm -hmm. and to see how best we can use ICT to push education you know, in, 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 um, in, in our schools. How best can we use ICT to work alongside um, you know, and it goes now this also goes back so if we're pushing ICT then we must push um, internet um, you know um, access we must push that because it goes hand in hand and again um, just keeping it frank uh, sorry to cut you yeah. guys right because i'm so happy that this is an open discussion right meaning <laughs> we can be honest i know many persons are talking about the fact that you know okay yes the internet is bad but it's almost as if it's like a it's like a pass by when that is like one of the it's, it's such a big issue there are times it when is. i'm trying to make a call cannot it get is. through on the call I'm on, I'm on the internet. I've just been hoping here and praying. Okay, let's hope, you know, it stays reliable for this entire Zoom call. And I mean, that should not have to be. But then it's one thing for us to say, but then what? Both telecommunication companies kind of just skip over it, meaning it's just business as usual. They know it's happening, but I feel like nobody is saying, what, what is happening? What are you guys going to do about it? You know, it's just, uh, okay, it's just happening and happening. And I don't know, like for me personally with that internet thing, I think something has to happen. I, so for the past three weeks, I've been having three, you know, sessions for math. And my vision for that initially was to do the live sessions on YouTube. Because again, I was saying, okay, you know, I mean, yes, even though some persons are using Zoom, I didn't even want for the persons who aren't able to use Zoom or not to figure it out. I just wanted them to just tune in on the YouTube and they see me and I teach. I literally, I have everything. I got extra stand, camera stand. I did everything to make sure that they had the best experience. I think it through. What's happening? The internet connection is not strong enough for me to actually do a live session on YouTube. Whereas I am looking at other teachers in Trinidad who are getting to do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm saying here I am, a teacher who is ready to give that extra. And I was not able to even help as many students as I wanted to simply because the internet connection is not there. 
because by the time the delay so far behind it was almost 20 seconds so that's not yeah. live when the student mm. needs to ask the question i'm already 20 seconds ahead you know what i mean that that already takes away from the learning experience yeah. so mm. i just feel like with that internet um and especially because school is going to be opening up september into october it has to be that something like a very that needs to be an uncomfortable conversation that is had because yeah, it, it's think, just not gonna work if we don't talk about it yeah i think the, the that that needs to be addressed and we agree um but i i think though what the ministry is doing to deal with that problem the problem of connectivity is to look at the the using um recorded sessions um i don't particularly like it but it, it's it's a way to address it for it's now a start Yes, recorded sessions. For, for example, they have now they are now retrofitting a studio at PBCJ, which will be dedicated solely to um, education content or educational content um, for the new school year. So that is one good thing for for the ministry. And using the blended approach is another you know um, very good thing. As a matter of fact, blended approach has been going on for quite some time, particularly in Canada, in the US. They have been using blended approach where seniors, high school students, I'm talking about high school students, seniors, would there be a week where they stay home and they learn online. But for the other four days, they go into um, the physical space and, and, and they'll you know, learn face to face. Um, but one thing I'd also want to say to go back to just you know, looking at my experience with the online um, process, was that the students, maybe it was, you know, the, the thing, the platform that I used, maybe it was the strategy that I was using, but the students were very much engaged. These yeah. were students who would not be necessarily engaged in a face-to-face -face session. They were, they were, these are students that would pretty much be sleeping or be talking in a face-to-face -face session. They were engaged. Mm -hmm in the in the um the the, the, the the online platform so maybe it is though that this is now an opportunity to reach students who weren't being reached at all in the face-to-face -face, um you know classroom Ex yeah definitely this is a per this is we should not waste this opportunity at all i think that i think it's a wonderful opportunity for education that this can address some of the problems that we've been having with student engagement um in the classroom because you i found that particularly the boys they were excited for class they were excited for the for the, the sessions or the lessons. They were yeah. excited for the activities. Again, I don't know. Maybe it's what I use and uh, with others. But I find that they were just excited for being online and excited in learning in this sort of environment than the face-to-face -face environment. Face. So okay. there is that that we have to contend with. So I I, I really love the the volume that went on a while ago between between you two. You kind of just took it away and and. What, based on what you guys said, it's just so much to unpack um, as it relates to education, but we are close to, to closing. Um, but I have one more question. Um, and I'm going to put you on the spot now because you know you're talking to JCCYC in partnership with Environmental Solutions. So we have to bring it back to, to the environmental yeah. reality. So, <laughs> so as you both have, um, have pointed out, COVID-19 does present an opportunity for us especially um, around this issue of ICT access. With climate change impacts waiting around the corner, just right around the corner for us to reach the 1.5 degrees um, mm -hmm. Celsius, do you think we are doing enough 
as it relates to moving our educational system or educational services online. But we just spoke about all of the issues with access and keeping students active and training and all of that. Do you think we're doing enough? What is it that we need to do um, to ensure access is sustainable? So not just move it online, but it's sustainable. Should we have another disaster? I remember Gonzalez is right around the corner. Thankfully, school is out. Um, so what do we need to do to ensure access is sustainable? Should we have another disaster that will force us to do most of our business from home? I think firstly, um, it goes back to the point that Mikhail was mentioned, um, you know, was making earlier of these telecommunications um, services must, something has to be done to expand um, bandwidth. Um, so expand connectivity across the island. So have greater connectivity pretty much across um, the country. One, two, we have to train teachers in using ICT. Um, for the life of me, and I just don't know why, there are just too many of our teachers who are afraid of technology. Mm -hmm. Afraid of technology. And, and that mindset, we have to break that mindset and get more of our teachers trained in, in um, ICT. And Microsoft, so this, is, uh, this is not a plug for Microsoft, but it's a nice <laughs> platform. But Microsoft Education um, Center, they have tons of courses on Microsoft Education Center that deal with digital, um, digital, sorry, digital um, classroom and how to teach in a digital classroom. For example, engaging students in a digital classroom and stuff like those. And it's free. It's free. You do these courses, it's like maximum two to four hours that you spend, you know, going through these, these courses. You learn a skill, you learn a new method, you pick up a new strategy here and there. The teacher, as I said before, teach a, the teacher in this time, in this 21st century, in this COVID period, must be flexible, must be adaptable. Mm -hmm. They have to change, they have to switch gear. Um, moving away from the traditional into the modern. And so that's one avenue that they can go. There's several other webinars that they can, you know, sign up to. So workshops and these Microsoft Center, as I said before, you go there and do a course and learn a skill and, and so forth. Um, number two and three, we have to just embrace the change and embracing the moving forward because what we're going to do is tell, 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 you know, 21st century we're not ready. No, we have to meet it. We have to meet it where it is. Then embrace it. And, and, and I'm being, yeah, so we have to pretty much, you know, do that. So one, look where the government, Ministry of Science, Energy and Technology, I think it is, and the Ministry of Education would have to come together and sit these telecommunications people down mm -hmm. and say, hey, we need to expand bandwidth across the country because we need to have greater um, connectivity, you know, with, with ICT and so forth. And as I said before, the teachers have to change their mindset, have to change how we train teachers, have to change our approach um, in, in this business called education, where we have to train or we have to learn how to learn as teachers. Yeah. We have to relearn things in a sense. So, yeah. yeah. Michaela? I like that point. We have to learn how to learn. That's that's a powerful statement, everybody. That's a bomb. That's a that's <laughs> that's a gem right there coming out of the beauty. Um, but no, I, I definitely agree with everything. I think one of the major things we have to do if we're going to be prepared for, you know, uh, any type of disaster or pandemic or anything that will come is to just continue to act with urgency. What mm -hmm. I don't want is because 
the numbers are starting to go down or, you know, will eventually start to go down, it's kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, let's, let's lay back and, you know, we have time. No, let's act as if we don't have time. True. You know, True. let's continue where, look, as somebody said, in this time we realize that the impossible can be made possible. So rather than trying to think, okay, how can we try to go fully back into, you know, fully the physical space, how about we continue? Continue to try to find a way to make the blended learning work. Yeah, mm-hmm. just so that in the event something happens, and either way, take it, there must be some benefit. I'm pretty sure there are studies which will show that there is benefits to blended learning. You understand? So it's a matter yeah. of the only way we're going to get better at it is by practicing. Um, unfortunately, yeah. Lawrence, I'm one of those teachers you spoke about that is very afraid of technology. But then <laughs> guess what? Because I was forced to use it during this time, like now I actually love it. And I'm saying, whoa, it's actually not that scary. You know, it's just, yeah. and there are things that I remember the first um, Zoom class I had, you know, I was using the whiteboard and, you know, there were some things that I still wanted to do. And then maybe by the fifth time of doing it, you know, whether because I had to go and research and look it up or just playing around with it, I realized there were so many things I could do, but that was only because I was practicing. Right. So it's the same thing. We, I know in the vision 2030, we talk about wanting people to just appreciate the, the, the importance of lifelong learning. So there's always going to be something new for you to learn. So even as a teacher, even in whatever profession, you know, you are like, I don't think as Jamaicans, we have that attitude of, you know, learning never, ever stops. In our case, it's like, okay, if you go to university, all right, just one done university. So that is it. Not realizing that even if you're a marketer, like there are new marketing trends happening every day. So you need to be updating yourself, whether through articles. Yes, it doesn't always have to be the formal education system. But what it is through articles, as you said, there are free online courses that you can do in an hour. It's just to know what is happening in the space. What, what are other countries doing? You know what I mean? Um, so for me, I think if we're going to be ready, I think one, we need to look at how other countries are handling this, whether good or bad, and take, you know, take lessons from what is happening around us. I don't think we have to make all the mistakes for ourselves. We can start to look at what is, how, how have others responded to it? What, what are the good ones? What are the bad ones? And you know, see how best that fits into the context of Jamaica. Um, I think we need to the parents i think the parents need the extra support in this um just because i think they need to know as well what to do should something else happen you know it's not just about how will the schools respond it's like okay if this happens again are the parents ready to support the children because then if if they're going to be at home because that's what covid has shown us that you take them out of the school setting so yes you, you go and you fix up the schools you put in all the nice equipment you do everything nice to the schools but then you know a lot of pandemic happens and everybody has to stay home then what happened? It's all of that work goes on the drain. So you want to ensure no matter where the student is, that entire learning environment is conducive to them, you know, doing well. So you want to ensure that again, the parents, the household, what can the, the, the parents do? Um, just as an aside, there is a student that I teach and I realized that he really likes video games. And, you know, I was saying to the parent, cause you know, they were saying, you know, they're going to take away the video games because all he's doing is, you know, playing the video games. And I said to them, Rather than trying to take that away, why not incorporate the learning into the video games? Because there are many math video games out there. And the last class I had with him, I actually found a video game that was very similar to the ones he plays, and it has math in there. And I'm just saying, even something like that, the student would be occupied, so while the parent can get the time to go and cook or whatever, because no, you know, it's a matter of that the students are home and the parents don't know how to, how to entertain them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So even something like that, you don't want the momentum to die down that a lot of students in this time, they've just been home. So even the learning, I mean, yes, the focus has been on ensuring the CXE students 
you know, had the, the necessary preparation. But I'm, I'm sure the grade 7s, the grade 9s got left behind. Because mm-hmm. I have some students who told me that the teachers, they were focused on the CXE students. So they stopped mm-hmm. having regular classes with the grade 7s. Mm-hmm. So it means that for about three months, mm-hmm. one of them, he told me about two months now, he hasn't had any math class. He don't remember anything. Oh. Imagine if he wasn't coming, you know, to, to his parent didn't say, okay, you know what? I want him to get back in the group. When September comes, you know, it's going to be having to realize, which is why I said I think we need a gap analysis because you're going to have to see, okay, now that we've basically had this three-month, four-month break, where are the students? Because there are some yeah, students, true. especially if it was just about rote learning, they really didn't grasp the, the, the content in full. So yeah. when it is that you haven't engaged them for so long and they know we have to go and re-engage them, everybody's not going to be at the same place. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's thinking about things like that. Um, thinking about, as you said, the how to prepare for the next one after just dropping the mental health. Somebody mentioned mm-hmm. that, you know, there's going to be a lot of, you know, maybe for some person, she's sure there's going to be trauma coming out of this experience. I definitely, definitely agree. There's so many students who right now, they don't even know what is happening. I was looking at one of the releases and it was saying that I think the six formers, because results for CXC are supposed to be posted end of September. So, you know, they'll place them in six form come October. But in my mind, like that's, that's already two months out of, school has gone you know mm-hmm. what i mean like it's if i was a student right now i would feel so anxious like i just would feel so overwhelmed so overburdened that i don't know i, I give it up to the students who who did cxc this year to be honest i think they all deserve once but that's, that's just the emotion <laughs> in me right um but just preparing i think as well we need to have a just a ensure the mental health is a part of that that strategic plan so mm-hmm. that, you know, okay, what, what kind of mental issues came out of this so that we ensure that when it happens again, do we need to have more guidance counselors on, on call? Is it that we need to have more support, um, you know, systems in place? That has to be a part of the discussion as well to ensure mm-hmm. that all the moving parts and we're prepared. But we have to keep that urgent, that sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. You can't get complacent or is something else is going to come. And as you can see, I know you guys are, you know, climate change. I've been watching Our Planet on Netflix. And it's basically just telling you about all the wonderful, well, not so wonderful things happening with our world <laughs> and, you know, what could happen. And for me, I'm just saying, wow, like if, if and when, I guess, I guess you guys as the climate change people, you know, can, can let us know. But with everything and the world changing so fast, I don't even think we can fully predict everything. So even though we think right. Corona is the, is the worst of it, a year from now, it could be something else. It definitely. Mm. So I think I'm happy that you guys um actually decided to ask that question because then it's like, let's not pretend as if there's probably not going to be another one of this again, you know, mm-hmm. in the future. Especially if when we're building these technologies and things, are we going to consider the, env- the, the effect on the environment? You know, so is it just going to be, okay, yes, let's just produce more things. Um, what about the factories that are producing these things? You know, all of that has to be in the discussion as well or is it just going to be a cycle. I see somebody is, oh, it's Danny. (laughs) (laughs) Hi. Um, Thank you for all that you just shared. I mean, I mean, at the end of these sessions, we try to do like a little wrap up of uh, three major points that have come out so that people can walk away with the key talking points. But once again, there is just so much (laughs) that has been revealed. It makes me realize that it's not for a lack of knowledge, really, that we are where we are in Jamaica. You know, we, we have all the information, all the research has been done, all the knowledge is there. Not all, but we know what we need to know to, to make a lot of changes. 
Um, and so now it's like you said, it's time to take urgent action. So first and foremost, I want to thank you both so much for being so open and honest and not being afraid to say things that um, others might not want to say. Sometimes it does have to be uncomfortable, as you said. Um, if I use the Forbes uh, article that I shared earlier, I've been the one blowing up the chat for everybody who wants to know. <laughs> we have a lot to do to get ready for this fourth industrial revolution that's going to change the way we work and live and educate our people. So we need to do a gap analysis and a needs assessment from a technological perspective, a human resource perspective, a materials perspective, in order to ensure that our students are, are up to date on yeah. a local and a global scale for them to be ready once they get out of school. And I like what Lorenzo said, we need to learn how to learn. We need to keep learning. We're students forever. Lifelong learning is how we're going to progress. Um, we need to improve on our STEM education, our problem-based learning. Yes, it's the focus of the government, but you know that's something that not only the students need to be up to speed with, but we need our teachers to know how to educate students in STEM. We need our parents to understand what STEM education is. And that takes me to the next point, which is that we have to engage all of the players in this activity. We can't just say, oh, it's a trickle down from the top situation. We have to talk, make space, safe space, for the teachers, for the students, for the parents, and for the community support. Yes, we have to address mental health themes and psychosomatic issues that might come out of this period. After hurricanes, after earthquakes, people show different behavioral things, and I'm quite certain that we're going to be seeing that um, moving forward. And so it's something that we need to address. Last two points, Asimara, looking at me. Um, this whole using schools to perpetuate the class divide, we're all aware of it, but again, we need to address it. What are we going to do? And I'll leave this out there for Flo and for Cable and Wireless, or Digicel, whatever the name. <laughs> Telecoms has to ready up themselves. I can't be yes. praying to the ancestors every time we have to do one of these COVID chats to make sure that we don't get cut off. <laughs> I know that was a lot for everyone. Um, I put the links in the, in the chat for everyone to, to access for whenever they are ready. Remember, you can follow us on social media. I'll put all the handles back in the chat and our guests can feel free to share their handles in there as well. Um, for those of you who want to listen to our podcast, we have all the sessions recorded um, from our previous very insightful, very exciting COVID chats. Um, and yeah, so just thank you once again for that. Uh, this is our wrap up. I'm happy it was such an insightful talk. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for having um, so me. So our next, our next COVID chat session will be um, on August 2. That's not this Sunday, the following Sunday. And we'll be looking at the human dimensions of a pandemic and we'll be looking at how COVID affects demographics. So, Michaela, at that point, we'll be delving into the whole mental health issues that would arise. Okay. So I hope, you are, I hope you are available and able to tune in and yeah. share your thoughts on that one as well. So thank you again for coming, guys. Um, thank you for all the guests for sticking it out with us. I know it's lunchtime. So <laughs> <laughs> I trust and hope that we all have a great weekend. Thanks again for joining us.